When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for there is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well done, Mum and Dad, for doing all the recording. I bet that took a bit of coaching. It's great. Well done, Mia. Well done, Tommy. The good news is it's done. And the even better news is I'm sure we're going to ask you to do it again. Um, that was great. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, a very warm welcome to you all. It's, as always, it's great to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Very warm welcome to all of those of you watching on the live stream or indeed at a later time and date. So... <clears throat> Matthew and the other gospel writers, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus. And yet, like any great story, there is so much more than just a string of events. Because Matthew, as with the other gospel writers, they tell the story of Jesus and they also tell it through the lens of the spiritual forces of evil, active in the wider world, no different today as it was then, they tell the story of Jesus as also the story of how the spiritual forces of evil converge. They come together at a point where Jesus is announcing and describing the kingdom of God. And those spiritual forces of evil, they do the very worst that they can do. They bring death and they bring destruction. And so it is that under their weight, Jesus gives up his life and he dies on the cross. But as we know and is record, as is recorded through the many, many witnesses that subsequently encountered Jesus, Jesus simply overcomes the very worst that the spiritual forces of evil can do. Because though his body is put in a grave, that grave simply cannot hold him he overcomes the very worst that these spiritual forces can do and he is resurrected. 
And the very power of the spiritual forces of evil is overcome. But this is not just some kind of strange, happy ending. This is not just some strange, happy ending. We completely miss the point if this is where we leave the story of Jesus. Because it is at this point, through his life and through his death and resurrection, that God does something new. He does something that will leave the world changed forever. Because it is the birth, it is the launch of the kingdom of heaven, the rule of heaven being birthed here on earth. Now, all the gospel writers, Matthew included, they see the whole life of Jesus, his life and his death, as all related to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. It's all related to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And it is through this moment, through this moment that Matthew then takes what Jesus is explaining as the kingdom of heaven and he develops it to show us what it will look like and how it will come in to operation. And Jesus throughout his life is constantly, constantly redefining what the kingdom of heaven will look like and how it will be established. And it's all here in this passage that Mia and Tommy have read to us this morning. It's all here. This is how God intends to establish life as he intended it to be. Now this passage is very often described as the Beatitudes, the blessings. And it is equally very commonly understood to be a promise of the blessings that will come to those who are described. It is very commonly read and understood to be about the promise that will come to those who are described. If we just stop and reflect for a moment, though this is self-evidently, though this is obviously true, I believe what you will see is that that is a second-order truth from what Jesus is teaching. And there is a greater first-order truth that Jesus is speaking to us about through this teaching. And that first-order truth is this. It is that it is these kinds of people through whom the kingdom of God will be established. It is that it is these kinds of people through whom the kingdom of God 
will be established. The rule of heaven being birthed on earth. Now as with so many of these blessings, what matters is that they demonstrate how the kingdom of God will actually be put into operation. It is through the meek. It is through the humble. It is through the kind. It is through those who mourn, who in their almost impossible suffering will find it within themselves still to trust in the person of Jesus Christ. It is the peacemakers. It is the seekers of justice. It is through people like this that the kingdom of God will be birthed and launched here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus goes on to teach. If you read on past verse 12, he didn't just stop at verse 12 and have a tea break. He might have done. He kept on. He kept on the teaching to his disciples. He goes on to say that it is those that take the path of forgiveness who learn trustfulness. It is those who learn to love their enemies and to pray for those that persecute them. These, these are the kinds of people through whom the kingdom of heaven will be launched. Because one thing it will never, never be, never be like, is through armies, military force, law enforcement, law enforcement agencies and whatever guys they come in, led by an individual or a group of people imposing their will forcefully and on others. It will never be this way. It will never be this way. I have followed the teachings and the commentaries of an American professor, an American university professor for many years. I had the opportunity to meet him once when he made a visit to this country. He tells the story that on one occasion a few years ago, he was invited to go and speak at a peace rally in Northern Ireland in the town hall of Portadown, which you will find about 25 miles southwest of Belfast. And he was invited to speak at this peace rally because it was the eve of the marching season, which many of you will know is part of the culture of the Protestant community in Northern Ireland, where led by marching bands, columns of the Protestant community, not all, but many, would commemorate the military victory of a Protestant army led by a Protestant prince several hundred years ago, where that military victory ensured the ascendancy of the Protestant 
community. And in Porterdown, more or less 65% of a Protestant community, 35% Catholic, these marches had become incendiary. They had become flashpoints where when those marches took place, old enmities arose, divisions were laid bare, and the best that often happened was simply that obscenities and vitriol would fly, and sometimes much, much worse. But what my American, my, (laughs) he's hardly my friend, but anyway, this American professor who I've followed for these years, He said, what I remember about that peace rally in Porterdown was nothing to do with me and nothing to do with what I said. But it was about the remarkable story told by a Catholic bishop who preceded me on the platform. And this Catholic bishop rose and addressed his community like this. He said, my mother was Russian. Shortly after the end of the Second World War in 1945, she came to Northern Ireland and started a new and different life. He said, she used to tell me and my family of the time in 1945 when shortly after the end of the Second World War, with her and her community in Moscow still reeling from the suffering that came to a nation that lost somewhere around 25 million people dying in that conflict, military and civilian combined. That is an impossible number for me to get my head around. 25 million plus or minus lives lost. As a result, there was virtually no one in Greater Moscow who had not lost, suffered, been devastated. And there came the moment after the peace when large numbers of German prisoners of war had to be moved from their stockades in Moscow and taken to the railway station to start their journey home. And so came the day when columns of German prisoners were marched through the streets of Moscow on their way to the station. Russian soldiers lined the route to the station, and they lined the route for the protection of those German prisoners. The crowds that gathered to watch those German soldiers walk to the station, they wanted vengeance. They wanted to get at these people who had brought such death and such destruction to their communities. First came the officers. Their uniforms were still shiny. They wore their caps and they marched in time. And that Catholic bishop said, my mother said to me, it was almost like They wanted to show us that they were not bowed by their circumstances as they marched tall. And the vitriol rained down. The soldiers could hardly keep the crowd back. 
But as those officers passed, it became clear that the crowd behind, seeing what was following, was growing quiet. Because what followed was a wretched, wretched sight. Because after the officers came the enlisted men. Many of them had no shoes. Almost all of them were in rags. Many were still blooded and wounded. Many could hardly walk. They shuffled and they staggered as they tried to make their way to the station for the journey home. And then suddenly, somehow, Russian woman got through the ranks of soldiers and took a piece of bread to a staggering German soldier and embraced him. Within minutes, others from the crowd were rushing to their homes, to the shops, to find what little food they had to bring it to soldier after soldier after soldier to help carry them, to embrace them, and help them on their journey home. Because, as the Catholic bishop said, it seemed, his mother said to him, that in those moments, they ceased to be soldiers. They were simply young boys, some of them. Young men, very far from home. They were brothers and sons and grandsons. So we helped them on their way home. And that Catholic bishop looked at his Catholic community that day in Portadown and said, tomorrow we will have columns marching through our community. We have a choice. We have a choice of how we will behave and who we will show ourselves to be. Because I think that Catholic bishop knew something of what Jesus had taught in this passage we are reflecting on today, the Beatitudes. I think that Catholic bishop knew that the way that the kingdom of God is birthed here on earth is through those who mourn. It is through the kinds of people that will embrace forgiveness, who will bring grace to others, who will be the peacemakers, who will dare, who will dare to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute them. Because we are not just here looking back at past events, be they in Portadown, in Moscow, or Jesus sitting and teaching his disciples. And to those past events where Jesus walked and talked, yes, it matters that those events happened. Yes, it matters that they were unique and unrepeatable. But Jesus' invitation to you and I today is to understand that the story continues. 
the story continues and Jesus invites us to be part of a fresh expression of that story as day by day in your life, wherever it may be, whoever you may encounter, whatever your circumstances, you allow Jesus to be, live in you and through you and be part of the continuing story because you and I are Jesus' plan. Let's just reflect for a minute. I'm going to pray. And Stephen and maybe the band can come up. But let's just pause for a minute. Lord Jesus, help us to understand something, something of this extraordinary call you place on us and the extraordinary gift that you were to the world. That this revolution that you brought, this revolution of the power of redemptive love. My prayer this morning is whether you are watching online, whether we're gathered here in person, that we be open to this extraordinary love that you have for each one of us and you have for the wider world. Help us, I pray, to live out the call that you've placed on our lives. Amen.
Well 